I think none of these guys need to be introduced to you, probably least so Warren only, if you live in Los Angeles, listening to Which Way LA every evening, and to the point every afternoon is part of your ritual. If I had to just say two words about why we need public radio, then those words would be Warren only. For for decades, he's really been the voice of intelligent, responsible, thoughtful, and reasoned journalism. And he's here today because he started the program, Which Way LA, in 1992 as a response to the uprisings and to talk about, as they say, the issues we care about in Los Angeles. And this panel, the past and future of LA's global image, is an issue I know we all care about. So please welcome the panel. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Uh, thanks to all of you who uh, performed the ritual that he accused you of performing. I'm delighted to hear. I hope, I hope that's true of a lot of people. Uh, our task is to talk about the past and future of L.A.'s global uh, image. That suggests a, a moving target, which it seems to me is very appropriate because, of course, L.A. is changing. People ask me, you've been doing a show for 20 years called Which Way L.A.? What's the answer? <laughs> I don't know the answer. I wouldn't have a program if I knew the answer. I wouldn't have a job if I did But the reality is that Los Angeles is changing before our eyes. It's very different now than it was 20 years ago, and unquestionably the way that people perceive it is changing as well. So it makes sense to talk about the past and the future of L.A.'s global image. Peter is right. I don't think a lot of these people need uh, to have much, uh, much of an introduction. I, I just have to say... Uh, at the outset. You know, I talked to a lot of politicians on the radio, and to have an opportunity to sit next to people who are creative, imaginative, (laughs) forward-thinking, care about their work, are really serious, uh, is a great opportunity for me. So I I, uh, (laughs) I just want to thank the Getty. Just briefly, uh, Eric Owen uh, Moss, who's down at the other end of uh, of the line here, uh, is, artist, is an architect and director of the Southern California Institute of Arch- Architecture, which is called SciArch. It's hard for me to say the whole name. SciArch is what we all call it. Best known for helping transform the Hayden Track District of Culver City and Central Los Angeles, uh, with what are referred to by my producer, Frances Anderton. I hope that a lot of you know her as well uh, as idiosyncratic and sculptural retrofits of warehouses. Started that uh, 30 years ago. Along with uh, uh, Frank Gehry and Tom Main, he has helped put uh, L.A. Architect- architecture on the global map, and he is just back from Dubai. So uh, good to have him on our panel. Uh, Richard Rodriguez is uh, based in San Francisco. He's an essayist. He's a writer of many books. I think we've all seen him on NPR. Uh, he, excuse me, on uh, PBS. I get confused sometimes. <laughs> Uh, Among his books, Days of Obligation, a Meditation on the History of California, published in 1993, nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. Uh, He also has a very influential, very controversial autobiography, Hunger of Memory, the education of Richard Rodriguez, and he wrote Brown, The Last Discovery of America. Uh, He's currently working on a book about ecology, the ecology of religion, I should say, and the impact of the desert on the experience of God.
Vim Vendors has already been introduced. I'll do it again very briefly. 50 films, Paris, Texas, Wings of Desire, Buena Vista Social Club, uh, currently in Los Angeles, uh, where his new film, Pina, is coming out next year. Is that correct? Uh, it's not out as yet. You can't see it uh, yet. It's uh, the German entry for the best foreign film for the Oscars, and it's shortlisted for the best documentary as well. Uh, he has made two distinctively Los Angeles films, The End of Violence and The Million Dollar Hotel. He's also a photographer uh, and has books of photography uh, published, and he is thought to be one of the leading figures, of course, of the new German uh, cinema. I have to say, uh, by way of, um, of, a, of a public disclosure, that when it comes to John Singleton, I have a special involvement because I was in higher education. Learning, learning. Higher learning, higher learning. <laughs> I didn't learn anything when I was in the in the. <laughs> It was late at night, you know, it was in the middle, it was 2 o'clock in the morning or something. Anyway, I got 15 seconds. I was not there for my acting ability. I played a, uh, a uh, reporter who was doing a stand-up at uh, UCLA. But I want you to know, I'm still getting the, uh, uh, the uh, residuals. residuals. Uh-huh. Uh, sometimes they add to as much as a dollar. Sometimes uh, they don't go that high. But um, anyway, uh, John Singleton, of course, uh, has done an awful lot of movies that I think all of us are uh, familiar with, uh, starting with Boys in the Hood. And I think it's worth pointing out that for that film, he was nominated as Best Director and Best Writer for that, and he became the youngest person ever and the first African-American nominated to be Best Director uh, and uh, and, uh, to receive an Oscar for that. Uh, To be nominated for an Oscar, excuse me. Uh, his other f- films include uh, Higher Learning, obviously, Four Brothers, Too Fast, Too Furious. And because we're talking about the, uh, the global image of Los Angeles, John, I want to start with you because we got from your office a very interesting list of your films and the countries where your films have made the most impression. I guess, I, I, I guess that's what it is. Are you familiar with this list? Um, so, for example, office. it says Germany. Boys in the Hood, Too Fast, Too Furious. Austria, Too Fast, Too Furious, Higher Learning. Japan, Too Fast, Too Furious, Four Brothers. I guess what this reflects is the amount of replays, the number of requests you get in order for your films to be mm-hmm. shown. The, 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 the point I wanted to make was that uh, you're conscious, you're very conscious mm-hmm. of what it is you're, you're doing and the impact that it has on the global image of Los Angeles. Well, I wasn't in the beginning. I, I, could, I mean, I, making films afforded me to, to travel abroad. I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't gone overseas until I went to Canada with Boys in the Hood. I, had, I never had a passport. Um, so I guess I'm more conscious now than I was in the beginning of my career, I, I would say. If we start out from the very beginning of uh, the first panel uh, with the picture of the... Uh, the kid on the uh, oh, oh. jungle gym and the, and the, uh, the little baby standing yeah, by, the, the, uh, by the, <clears throat> the grapevine or whatever it was. We've gone from that as an image of Los Angeles, and that was at the, at the time the attempted a global image as well as the one for the United States. Now we've got boys in the hood. That's quite a transition. <laughs> well, I, I, um, I'm really proud of that first film, uh, in the sense that I was very naive about what its impact was going to be on the world. And since then, uh, I'm honored that 
the, the film had so much of an impact um, that it inspired other pictures in, in other urban centers and other cities in, in the world. Um, there was Matthew Cassavetes' Mahane, um, which, was, which showed uh, the multi-ethnic Paris and how uh, the, the economic strife and the youth of Paris, you know, revolved. And that was influenced by boys. There was a city of God um, in Rio. And so what you see is... Um, with with the success of one film and or or, the, or say the influence of one film, it, the impact it had on other artists around the world to to give their visions of at least youthful visions of what how their urban environment has affected them in telling different stories. So I mean that's what I would say in terms of the globalization of that of that picture and, and, and the influence that it's had. What about the images in the picture and, and what do they tell people around the world about Los Angeles? I think it says uh, Los Angeles is a very beautiful place on its surface, but there there uh, there are environments that, um, because of social dysfunctions and, and 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 the availability of weapons and you know um, you know the forces that are in and around uh, around. Uh, uh, I, I think we said we were going to talk something about the LAP a little PD a little bit here. Um, <laughs> it's a good time to do um, it. Are actually no different than. Other places um, in, in Paris and, and, and in Rio, um, you know, I you know I've talked to people in Rio that who feel the same way about the police as we do about the LAPD. So um, I'm, 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 the images, the images are one thing, but I think um, you know in terms of the topography of LA and what's presented in that film and and some of my other films that are. Uh, are specifically set in South Central Los Angeles with the palm trees and the the stucco-covered homes and the and the and the you know the Spanish influence um, um, architecture and stuff. That's one thing, but I think in terms of the ideology of of us living in a in a culture that is essentially um, a Western culture, you know, everything that is Los Angeles is is built about around this being a desert that was irrigated, and um, there is there is. The topography and how it looks, and there's also a certain mentality that that brings with it too, and, and having and growing up in a, in a Western culture. So, is the global image of Los Angeles false? <clears throat> um, it's it's manufactured, but it's also real. It's it there's a there's a there's a mixture. It's, there's a mixture of of what we're presenting to the world, and then there's also the reality. I mean, you know, we we live in a very beautiful city. You know, no one will will deny that. But there are so many different things that uh, um, in, in the city that um, there's kind of a, 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 a interesting underbelly to it. A lot of people say that LA has a lot of people from New York specifically, and I have a lot of friends from New York say LA has no identity. But um, I, you know, I, I'd have to dispute that that we do have a, a very much an identity. You know, and, and it's not just necessarily. Um, Spanish or Latin influence. You know, there's a mixture of different people um, who have come to LA from various cultures and various places around the world to realize their dreams. Everyone comes, I always say, my joke, my private joke is no matter who you are from around the world, people come to Los Angeles to reinvent themselves. You know, I mean, there are people who come to Los Angeles that from Europe and they, they're here and they'll, they'll change their name or they come from, you know, <clears throat> Schenectady, I'm just pulling somewhere out, you know what I mean, or, or Weehawken, you know. I changed mine from Wim Wenders to Wim Wenders. <laughs> <laughs> but, you see, case in point, that's my example, but it, it's, <laughs> Los Angeles is the place where 
where you can come as a caterpillar and become a butterfly. Wim Wenders, let me put the next question to you. <laughs> you say that your films are driven by a sense of place and that you think places have stories and you're still photography. You don't use a lot of people. You use places. How have you used L.A. places in your films and in what way do you think you've contributed to the global image of Los Angeles? Well, I'm the only foreigner on the panel, so I'm the only one with the privilege to enter Los Angeles to the international terminal. So, <laughs> I, the first thing you see is the mayor and a big writing that says, the city, welcome to the city that the world watches. That's what it says. And it is, of course, true. And as a filmmaker, when you enter here, you think, well, yeah, obviously. And then you go on and you enter common humanity, and then you ask yourself the other question. Is it also the city that watches the world? And you start wondering. Hmm. And I hope that's going to get an issue a little further on. But I want to, to come to a question. I'm really the product of the two previous panels. Um, Post-war German. I grew up, I was educated by Walt Disney. Uh, a capitalist was Uncle Scrooge. Uh, <laughs> Left-hand, li uh, leftish liberal was Donald. A leftist liberal loser. And, and a righteous right-wing badass was Mickey Mouse. <laughs> so, and as far as the second panel is concerned, the first moving images I saw was Buster Keaton. And that was before I ever saw a movie. We didn't have television. In 1950, my father won they went into the basement and dug out an old box, and that was a 9.5 millimeter projector, obsolete format, that he had gotten when he was a boy. And it had a little box, it was all very dusty, a little box of one minute reels of Harold Lloyd and Buster Keaton and Lloyd and Hardy. Oh. And I was the first one of all my friends who could project these, because I had this projector, so I became the projectionist. And these were the first moving images I saw, and it completely changed my life. And uh, I, had an, an Im I had an idea of what Los Angeles was, because you saw it in, in the Buster Keaton movies. And when I came here, first in 72, I, the first thing I did was drive over Mulholland Drive, and I thought I was in a spaceship. <laughs> On the left to the horizon, there was Los Angeles. On the right to the horizon, there was the valley, and I was in the middle, and I knew that was the top of the world. It must have been the top of the world. And I drove, and I got my first American car. It was an Oldsmobile Delta 88, convertible. Oh, of course, and it had the license plate, license plate Sam Spade. <laughs> because tribute to film noir, and I found out where Faulkner and Dashiell Hammond and Scott Fitzgerald were eating, so I went there religiously every day, sat at Mousseau and Franks. So that was my introduction to LA. And then I got married here, and 
all this stuff and I made movies here. And the thing was, and that's what I was going to come to, it was all fantastic and I loved it. And then every now and then I went, would go to, back to see my parents. And once I was out of LA, I could not believe that I had lived there the way I had lived there. You go back to Germany and you, you don't want to even talk about it because it's completely unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's not in your wildest dreams you would imagine what you do while you live in Los Angeles. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. It sounds like you're having a lot more fun than I am. I mean... <laughs> And then you would then you'd come back here and you would not you would forget about the rest of the world. You'd 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 be on this planet here and the rest of the world was blanked out and you would be happy this way. And and that's what really drove me crazy, that I couldn't get it together. That LA was a dream place, but it lost all reality when I left. It had no more reality when I when I was in Europe. And I was almost embarrassed when I said I live in LA because then people asked me how it is, and I couldn't say it because nobody would believe me. <laughs> and the movies I made here are about that conflict between the fictional, the fiction, and the reality. And 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 I have to quickly go back to the word image. It's so important to the, tonight, all the time. And we're talking about the past and the future of the image of of Los Angeles. Images first is different actions. It's first something you represent. Initially it was reality. And then it's something you project. And it's something that two people, and then it's something that these people receive and it forms their ideas and it forms their own image of the world. And then there's another action that goes back to the one who produces the image. It forms his idea of himself and who he is and what he does. So image is a great circle of different actions. And LA, because it is, as the mayor says, the city the world watches, LA is about stories and fiction and dream. But because it's a circuit, it's also formed by this fiction and formed by these dreams. It's, you cannot just produce them, you are also affected by and you affect the world, of course. LA has an incredible effect on the culture of this planet, more like any other city in the world. <clears throat> but it's self-infected by its own image as well. And that is the most interesting process. And but I talk about that later. <laughs> we'll get you back. That's really, you have some very interesting ideas. Richard Rodriguez, uh, the, um, uh, uh, Boys in the Hood came out about the time of the riot, the civil disturbance, the uprising. Before. Uh, here, we really don't have a... It was a little before. It was before, a year before. We, uh, we haven't had a, reached a consensus as to what to call it. Um, you wrote at the time that you thought that it, Los Angeles was finally being born in the aftermath of that, and that there was a sense of coming together. Do you still think that's true? Uh, yeah, I think that's true. I, I, I read a piece in the LA Times in which I said that it was in the experience of terror that the city was being born. Um, you know, women have been telling us for a long time that childbirth is very painful, and guys sit around on a panel like this, and we think it's sort of like going to a dentist. And, 
And it's nothing like going to a dentist, women tell us. And I think something happened in LA that night, uh, Thursday, when people began to realize that something was coming closer. The other part of town was coming closer. Mm. And that boulevard that, that, that they, they took to get away from that part of town was the same boulevard that that other part of town was coming toward them. And that sense of, of, of the city actually meeting itself came not in this kind of Coca-Cola advertisement, you know, I'd like to give the world a song and, uh, and, all the, and with people holding candles and so forth. But it, ca- it came in that terror of the night of hearing the, the, the sirens and smelling the smoke that the city was being born. Um, I'm struck by the, uh, Vim said that he's the only foreigner on the panel. I'm, I am the other foreigner, I, I'm from San Francisco. And, um, <laughs> I, I, am also, I am also the only person on any of these panels that is wearing a tie. Um, and I'm also the only person on these panels who's talked, who believes that Silicon Valley in, the, in, the, in some way is the new Hollywood and has, has swallowed Hollywood. It will swallow all of us wow. before it is over. It, it, it is, its appetite is such. And I, when I draw, walk down the streets of Los Angeles, there are streets when, where there are pedestrians. Um, and the young people are, are, are not looking ahead, they're looking here. And they are, they, are, they are completely oblivious to Los Angeles because they are living in a kingdom of the imagination or of interconnected, interco- interconnection with friends or strangers. Um, and it seems to me that digital enterprise now has so revolutionized the way young people are imagining a city by not imagining a city, but imagining a globe perhaps, that maybe even to talk of a place reveals that maybe we're a little old, older than we thought. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe place is exactly what is being lost now mm-hmm. in the new world we're entering. I should just say one last thing, and that, that everybody talks about the new LA, you know, these Mexicans wandered around with their leaf blowers, and I keep saying, <laughs> when we're being polite, we used to say Hispanic or Latino, those are Indians you are looking at mostly. Uh, those of us who are mestizo, and I am mestizo, look like Indians, and yet you describe us as Hispanic, that is, as tied somehow to the royal family of Spain. But I, I, Los, Angeles, Los Angeles is now the largest, Los Angeles and not Navajo Nation, is the largest Indian city in the United that. States. I love that. And no one has the words to describe that. I love that. Karl Marx said something about, and he said it in German so only Vim could read it. Uh, he said in the history of the world, the discovery of the Americas by Columbus, who thought he was in India, would rank second in importance to the discovery of gold in, in California. That when you had the discovery of gold in California in the, in the gold fields, the world met itself for the first time. It had never happened before, where you had the Bolivian in, the, in a tent next to, the, ne- next to the German, next to the African, next to the Chilean, next to the Australian. They were fighting, they were contesting in the mud for their piece of the, of the land. Yeah. Um, but he says something happened in that civilization that we are now seeing the results of. That picture behind us is, is the fiction of Los Angeles that I was drawn to as a young man. I've never been on that freeway. It doesn't, ex- it doesn't exist because the traffic in, on, on any LA freeway <laughs> doesn't look like that. <laughs> When I came to Los Angeles, I was, I was quite aware of the fact that everyone had brought their dreams to this place. 
And they did, those dreams were invented in Berlin. They were invented in Kansas. And they planted them here. Walt Disney came from Illinois. Lucille Ball was, had arrived. Um, uh, Richard Neutra came from Austria. Built modernist houses in the middle of California. Um, Jonas Salk uh, built the, the Salk Institute. In the, uh, and, and he was from somewhere else. All the interesting Californians were some, from somewhere else. Those of us who were born here had to move between and among all of these contesting dreams. There was Aaron Spelling's mansion in Bel Air. Uh, Aaron Spelling is from Dallas. Where else would he be from? <laughs> so he, he builds his house with a, with a bowling alley and with a, with, a, with a wrapping room. I mean, how many houses do you, that you know that have a wrapping room? He dies, and Candy Spelling, who was born in California, wants to get rid of it. The first thing she, she said is too big for me. It seems to me those of us who were born here and have to compete with these, these dreams uh, develop a sense of irony or a sense that we're a lesser civilization, those of us who were born here. But now I'm beginning to think, you know, those of us who were born here include Marilyn Monroe, who died not far from here. She was a Californian. But also Steve Jobs now, who has swallowed the world. And in some sense, I've come here to tell you that the native Californian may have some role in the conversation that has been taking place among people from New Jersey and Berlin <laughs> and Mexico City and all these people who have described California through their, through their dreams and forced us to drive down freeways that are congested with, <laughs> with so many cars because there are so many dreams. Eric Moss, you know, what does the, the built environment, not just what's built by architects, but also the infrastructure that we hear so much about, the freeways and the L.A. River and uh, mm -hmm. uh, the, the other things that we use to bring us together or not, uh, what, what does all that have to do with the global image of Los Angeles, do you think? It, it, I, I, let, me, let me back up for especially a second. Especially so what so many people um, think of as... So I have, a, dreamed. I have a number of things to, that, that I might react to, and notwithstanding uh, all of these characters, or at least <laughs> some of them cruising through the International Terminal. By the way, it's actually Obama in the International Terminal, in Antonio in, in uh, the, uh, the local wow. or the national terminals. Did I get out on the wrong one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe you came to the wrong place. You're in the wrong city. <laughs> Um, that illegal immigration. Uh, <laughs> it takes two out two three hours to get through that now, and the question the question may be whether it's uh, Worth it. uh, worthwhile in the end. But I always I have to say felt the the idealization of Los Angeles as a place or as an image or as an opportunity or as a fantasy to be realized should you happen to appear here at Musso and Frank, I, it's, it's not really part of my sense of, of, of Los Angeles. I don't think I ever idealized it, that it was wonderful, that it was remarkable. Maybe I took a lot of it um, for granted in a way. I think what was appealing to me about, about this city was precisely the opposite of that, that in some ways it, it was 
either blasé or oblivious or antithetical to any particular predilection about what the world ought to be or what the world ought to look like that it didn't say. You see, you build a building and it's not like going into Firenze and saying you have to make something next to Raphael's Palazzo mm -hmm. or something and better look like that. Otherwise, they call a uh, commentiere or something. Um, that, that the city actually is as much a place for introverts, mm -hmm. really, as it is for extroverts because it doesn't obligate you in the way that building next to Raphael's Palazzo might, because you have to conform in a way. And so that if you're prepared to say in an ostentatious way or an aggressive way or an arrogant way or a self-confident way, at least provisionally, this is the way the world ought to be and I think I can make it so. There's the latitude to do it in Los Angeles, or to trip over it, for that matter, that you don't see in many other places which seem to be a priori much more obligatory. So that it's much more a place which is up to us, meaning you can do it if you can do it or you can make the case if you can make the case, but you don't, but, but you don't have to fight some kind of, oh, this is certainly true in architecture. I think, I mean, uh, to, to be honest, I mean, there are people who come from many places, less so now because you get so much of it on the internet, and coming into Los Angeles and saying, Jesus, I'm coming up some freeway, and where is this, and where is that, and where is the other thing, and I don't see any of it. I'm looking in some some book and I, I I don't see any of it. I think I think that the city is not defined. Maybe a city for a few architects. I don't think it's a city for architecture, which is different. Um, the the my sense. I mean, it depends how you're defining this as a kind of intellectual environment, as a physical environment. As, an, as, as a prospect for doing what hasn't been done in other places. But physiologically, I think the city is largely defined by what you mentioned, which is what they call now infrastructure, not shovel-ready infrastructure, but by the old train routes, by the power grids, uh, by the freeways. Uh, and you mentioned mentioned the L.A. River. Enormous swaths, I mean, they're fascinating in their own way. The bigger architecture, which is maybe the most powerful, obligatory architecture. And that, that, that stratifies the city, it organizes the city. I mean, you can look in a, in a sociological way. I, I think I mentioned to you when we were talking, there's, there's an old joke that you take off from JFK going west and you're immediately over L.A. It's <laughs> <laughs> not far wrong because it, 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 it stretches in a way that, that, I mean, you can live here, go in and out of here for many years and miss almost all of it. But if you're west of the 405 or east of the 405 or north of the 10 or south of the 10, in a sociological way, I mean, that defines a lot, which is an odd way to define a city with a civil engineer that runs a freeway through the path of least resistance 
and then, and then uh, politically, sociologically defines the city, and then the city deals with the consequences of that for, for, for many, many years. Um, so I, I, think, I think I said this. Um, I got to give a talk in, in, in about a week in, in London on something related to this. Um, and I was, I was looking last night, and I bumped into a guy called Malcolm Muggeridge. Who's in, do you know that name? He's an old uh, uh, British Catholic, which I guess is an Episcopalian. No, who, he converted. Yeah. He converted to Roman Catholicism. Huh. So there's somebody in those. <laughs> <laughs> which is interesting. And he made the comment that, that tyrannies always try to cover the earth with concrete. And to the, the homogenize, but the concrete always cracks, and out of the cracks come characters like this, and 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 in 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 the most, you know, this is not pejorative. It cracks. The tyranny cracks, and the characters that are looking for the cracks to make the most, and we'll assume they're not the next pores of the concrete, which also happens. Uh, sometimes, but I, that's my sense of, of of Los Angeles. That at its best, you find the characters that come out of the cracks and make the next game. If so many people come here uh, based on dreams that have been concocted in Kansas or Germany or uh, Britain or wherever they are, is there a sense of disappointment here? Oh, it's a huge sense of disappointment. I mean. It's a place where people realize their dreams and they also have their dreams dashed. Um, I mean, how many of you have ever heard um, <clears throat> the song by Gladys Knight and the Pips, uh, um, uh, Midnight Train to Georgia? You've heard that song, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, you know the start of it goes, L.A. proved too much for the man. <laughs> it's like... Good. It's so. I mean, but, but I, I, when people come and you know, I, I, inter, I meet a lot of different people who are, who are creative and or aspire to be creative, and they always ask me, you know, how do I do this? How do I, you know, how do I do this? And I swear, every time I meet these people, I think of that song. That song just pops right in my brain, you know, as to whether or not, you know, this is going to be a person that has come to this, this, this city and is going to realize their dream or find out, find it's not what they think it was and go back. And then there are people who, are, who, are, who don't find what they're looking for and they stay as well. Um, I have to preface with saying I am Angelino. Um, I was born right off the 110 freeway. <laughs> Below the 10 freeway. What's across street? <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember, but it was a hospital. Uh, it was called John Wesley Hospital. I think they turned it to orthopedic. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think about when I think about Los Angeles, um, and I think about dreams realized or deferred. It's it's really one of those things that that you know is a kind of a microcosm of of the world. You know what I mean in terms of like. You know, this is a city that people um, come to to make it. You know, they come to to really change themselves and, and evolve. And that may or may not ha- happen for, for 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 some people. Um, I'm, um, California is a 
California is, is not the real world, as, as Wim says. You can go anywhere else in the world and just, you see that um, this is kind of like living in Disneyland. It seems to me that disappointment is a, it's not, it's, it's characteristic of the gold fields too. I mean, mm -hmm. most of the men didn't find gold. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that experience of what I'll call tragedy, that experience of frustration, is a very rich one, a very rich human one. But, and, but it also facilitates growth too. Because that's there, right, there, that's there exactly were, there right. Were many, I mean, there were many Chinese that came, you know, at that time. And, um, and you know, you saw what the growth of San Francisco, you know, through that. And, you know, the people who came from Eastern Europe and a lot of, a lot of people who were at that time, I guess, I'm going to get this right because I'm not a historian, but um, in and around the, the, uh, the mid-1800s when they were giving off these, these main land grants in the middle of the country, um, there were people who, choose, who chose to either homestead or, or leave their families in certain places and go out here for gold. Yeah. You know, and who's to say that some people stayed here and who's to say some people went back to the Midwest, you know, but nobody went back to Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are uses of tragedy. Or Sicily. There, there, you know? are, there are uses of tragedy. There, you come to the end of the line. If you come on the old east-west highway, you come to the coast. You come to the end of the dreaming line. You don't, you don't move any further. And it seems to me that something uh, happens from that, that sense of, of constriction, of, of meeting the end. And that is the environmental movement begins in California. Begins at a time in which there's nothing here. John Muir looks around mm. and he, he, he begins to realize we have to save this place because, because it's finite. That notion of finitude happens here. It doesn't happen in the crowded brick cities of the East Coast. It happens in California. It's a remarkable notion that you would need to save a place that's barely populated. But you know, I mean, the, the, the idea that, that, or the idealization that people are all here, I mean, sitting on the 405 at, at, at 8, 10 in the morning, all those people that's looking hell. for gold? Are you trying to get to work? Yeah. <clears throat> and, and how different is anybody's ever sat in the, uh, in the freeway running from Incheon to Seoul in that tunnel, just stinking tunnel for two hours. I was in a jam yesterday in Abu Dhabi, bad as anything you'll ever see on the 110. And, and the, I mean, whether, whether this is what you said originally, which is, and whether we want to stick Steve Jobs with this or not, I'm not so sure, but a kind of homogenization of living conditions so that we're sharing difficult circumstances just in terms of the logistics of living. And it might be fair to say that a lot of those people who are going up and down the 405 or just trying to get to the other end, get out, do something, finish it, get in a car and go back to the other end. And, and the, 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 the dream state or the aspiration that belongs to the gold fields is not really a fair, a fair metaphor for the lives of most people in most cities, including Los but Angeles. That's what I need to say, that's what happens to us. We were young once, we, we were hopeful once, and then I had to get a job and I had to, I had to get on that freeway. It's not, it's, 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 that was a, it's, it's not, it's that not. That was a horse. Not a, well, well, can I tell you, I was on the Merv Griffin show uh, to, when my first book came out. It's when I realized I couldn't live in this town because I was 36 years old and I was too old for this city. Uh, it's, it's like an eight and a half, or 
Is it eight and a half when the old uh, dancer is, is drummed upstairs because she's too old? But um, Orson, Orson Welles was on the show doing magic tricks oh, oh uh, with, or, with Merv Griffin. When I had arrived at the studio in Hollywood to do the first taping, there was nobody in the parking lot. And um, we went in. Orson Welles was there, the great Orson Welles. I mean, this is, this is the second Orson Welles. But the, when I met Orson Welles, there he was with, you know, with bowls. And, and, and he, was, he was enormous. And I think this is what happens to you if you stay too long at the fair. <laughs> but that, that, isn't, that isn't the end of the, the end of the story. Is that at the very end, he had said something nice about my first book. And he hadn't read it, but he said, that sounds really nice. I think it's, I think it's because he was married to Rita Hayworth for a while. But, uh, or Dolores Del Rio. Um, we were going out to the parking lot. And for the second taping, there was the entire cast of something called Falcon Crest. Uh, one of those one of those series on TV. By that time, the parking lot was teeming. All of you people had come to Hollywood to to see the cast of Falcon Crest, and you were all behind barriers. And I was walking next to Orson Welles, and you know, gushing the way I was gushing in the green room with this one, and um, and trying to flatter. And you know, these guys are beyond flattery. And he, he, there he was, you know, just. <laughs> And, and I said, could I give you my book? Because Merv had no use for it, obviously. Um, and I handed it to him. He said it was very nice. And there's this guy behind the barriers. This is L.A. When I knew I had to leave this town, he's waving something at me. He says, you. He says, come on over. And I thought, he, he's talking to, to, to Vim Venters. He's, you mean Orson Welles? He said, no, you. Mexican guy. Uh. I went over, and he handed me, a, I thought, first he was going to show me, I thought it was pornography. He hands me a pen, and he asks me for my autograph. The first time anybody has ever asked me for my autograph. And I thought, Orson Welles is going out there. He's going to his car. Nobody's stopping Orson Welles. He stayed too long at the fair. Uh, the trouble with dreams is that they die many times, and they turn into something as mundane as our lives. And it's not to say that our lives on the 405 are, are not grand and heroic and brave for being, for being stoic, but, um, but it's to say that the reason we came here is not to be on the 505, we came to be on that freeway. <laughs> so, Wim, Wim Wenders, you, oh, you left Los it. Angeles to avoid becoming an overweight juggler. <laughs> <laughs> I can show you a few contracts. <laughs> Why did you leave LA? It's a longer story. It's, it has to do with the uh, subject, the future. I left LA because I figured, because the image that is the product of the city, had too much impact on the city itself. Mm. So, mm. a big product of the city is, of course, movies, fiction, but a big byproduct is violence. Mm -hmm. And the city that creates a lot of violent imagery and imports it, exports it into the world, in the end, I realized, was suffering from it too much. Yeah. It had, it was suffering from its own product. And you couldn't go anywhere anymore to anybody 
without crossing all the signs on the law on the lawn that you'd be immediately shot or all the advertising for security and security was the biggest product in the, in the city violence and security so and I figured if the city that produced all these dreams has a future where it's going to produce only nightmares I'd better get out of here and I made a film about this called End of Violence it's a Hollywood producer who made a lot of money, he was action-driven, very violent movies, and one day he's kidnapped, and he's become subject to violence. And he just barely survives, and wants to find out what was behind it, because he realizes there's something behind it. It, wasn't not, it, wasn't not, it was not coincidental. And he decides to hide. And in order to hide in Los Angeles, he becomes his own gardener. He becomes part of the Mexican workforce, becomes invisible, and this way can observe his own house, and slowly gets on the scheme that there is this huge satellite-driven security system being installed that su surveys everything, and he slowly understands that these cameras that survey everything, it's a little bit of a science fiction film. The cameras that survey everything actually shoot. They don't shoot pictures, they shoot. So they become the ultimate tool to end violence, but they do it by inducing violence. They, they shoot when they see something that is not, that could lead to violence, so these cameras shoot. And that's why he was safe, because these cameras shot his aggressors, and he was lucky. And so, and I realized the movie is so much, that the city is so much driven by its own product and so much driven by the fact that these negative images sell so much better all over the world and become such a more attractive product that the city suffers as hell from its own product. And I realized I didn't want to live in that environment. I don't have any kids, but I, I wanted to live in a city that had more positive energy towards the future. And I feel Los Angeles is being buried by its own projections, its own nightmares that it keeps producing, and so many more than uh, the other ones. It used to be, I mean, they made fantastic, wonderful dreams, and now it's, it's one out of a hundred films that is not senseless, and that is not sort of without any reality, actually. And that's what I liked about what you said, that the loss of reality drove me out of Los Angeles. Because the movies were more and more about nothing or about fantasy and about the more there was CGI made and the more they were digitally produced, the less there was anything that you could touch and the less sense of place was there, the less, the less reality was actually there. And the people who were fed these reality um, less movies actually are suffering now from a deep loss of reality. The kids that you see in Los Angeles, I'm horrified. I'm horrified. They, they have no appreciation for anything that's real. Mm -hmm. and, and violence is also one of these products. It's not real in these movies. I mean, you can kill a million people, but there's no reality to it. Mm -hmm. And I'm, that's what I left. I felt and even today, I'm here, back here today for two weeks now, and I'm suffering from that constant loss of reality that people 
live in in Los Angeles. I mean, not the other half. The other half that drive the city and that do the work, they are in a different reality. They are reality-based. And most of the people I meet are, are I'm sorry to say, I, I, I think they're all suffering from a disease that is the loss of reality. You're the Angelino on this program, but on this panel, but uh, you're you're buying that. You agree with that? Yeah, because I know. Because every time I try to make a reality-based picture, I just get, oh, we can't do that. But if I do something more fantastic or whatever, then it's like, oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, my, I I've made my bones in trying to. There was a time in which in my career, and I'll, I'll admit to this, there was a time in which in my career I said I'll never have a violent act in my picture for the sake of entertainment. Yeah. But I had to give up that, I had to give that up to have a career. Mm-hmm. Oh, hold on a second. There was the first, pretty much the first four movies I did, every, every time something violent happened, it was for a certain reason. And it was, it was, a, it was, a, for, it was an emotional, it was an emotional impact to have somebody was hurt or harmed or whatever. Yeah. And all the way up to a movie I made called Rosewood, which was about the uh, 1920 massacre in, um, in Florida. And after that picture, I didn't work for like many, many years, and it was hard for me to do anything until I did another a studio film, Shaft. I'm, I put Sam Jackson in Shaft, and it was like, you know, you know, shoot him up, whatever, you know, detective thing. And there was something that was lost, in, and I felt in terms of me as a filmmaker, because I, you know, although the picture was very financially successful, I didn't feel, I didn't feel, uh, you know, fulfilled of it. You know what I mean? And it's, 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 there's an irony in, 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 um, in what Wim says is very, very truthful because, you know, when you show so many depictions of violence, and we'll, we'll deal straight with the cinema first and foremost, whether it is, you know, in shoot 'em ups or horror or in destroying the city over and over and over again, <laughs> there's no jeopardy. You know, they have a generation of people who will grow up that don't feel that there is any jeopardy at anything, whether or not it's on a small level or or, or a big level. And, um, you know, I, I do believe that that's something that's been lost. I, I think, think uh, sorry, huh? yes. I, I think that, that uh, there's, and I was listening to a piece of the previous panel, there's a peculiar equation, and maybe it's universally shared. If it is, maybe it's unfortunate that what's on the screen is what's in your head. And what's on the screen determines what's in your head. So that if the making of films is X or Y, it's contagious in a way. And the people who belong to the screen become like X and Y. As if you couldn't find a life outside of the screen and the screen, this is, I mean, this is nothing really new as an idea. It's Orwellian. Uh, and, and, and I think it, it may, I mean, you can see this in architecture now, too, that, that the issue is less wonder. Uh, it's less, there's more to know than we'll ever know, which I think is where I would land. There's more to know than we'll ever know. And there are people who are on that side, as opposed to we pretty much know what we need to know, and let's just produce it. 
which is, I think, what, what we're hearing uh, over here. And you also, again, you see that I, I, we were talking a little bit about the UAE, the, the Emirates, and you see it a lot in Dubai, where it's sand. The place is sand. I mean, there was a comment about about L.A. A desert and so on. In a way, in 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 a in, in a speed speed up the action sense, Dubai is like that. I mean, if you go back twenty, thirty years, it's virtually just sand, and it's so odd that the quintessential images of what belong what belongs to an industrial revolution and an evolution of building technique and technology and mean and it ends up not in New York or LA or even Hamburg or Munich, but it ends up on a desert in in the Middle East, which is really I mean and the buildings are I may have to say with a few exceptions, utterly unremarkable buildings. But they're gargantuan and it's again it's 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 not a function of wonder it's a function of technique and capacity to 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 engineer software tools design fabrication engineering tools to make something which was already known i think i think the aspiration is to inquire into what you don't know and I think that's what's that's that's what's harder to find now, but not exclusively to lay it on all on L.A. No, it's but a, L.A. does its share. It it does seem to me, though, with with all this talk of of the violence of Los Angeles and the, the darkness here, that one also has to say that there is some remarkable eroticism taking place in a city of so many lives, so different from so many parts of the world. There are children being born today in Los Angeles who look like none of their grandparents, or who look like all of their grandparents, but in odd ways. This woman comes out to me in Pasadena. She says, uh, I'm Mexican-Japanese, uh, and she turns this way, and she becomes Japanese, and she turns this way, she becomes a Mayan Indian. <laughs> there are kids in L.A. who, because we don't have, we adults don't have words to give them, have named themselves... Uh, Blacksicans, for example. There are a lot of Blacksicans in L.A. There's a lot of um, we, 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 we talk about the violence between Mexicans and Blacks in L.A., but there is also within that violence or beside that violence or in addition to that violence, there is also an erotic energy in, in, in Call them at Blacksicans. play. Blacksicans. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and we, are, we are moving toward it. We talk about wonder. This is a wonder that no architect has yet schemed uh, into a building. But you look at some of these children in, in, in grocery stores and you try to decide who or where the, that child comes from because he comes from several places in the world simultaneously. That seems to me, although it doesn't seem to make its way into very many of our films, it is making our, its way uh, into our photographs because you ask somebody, oh, can I see a picture of your granddaughter? And, and you look at her, and, and then she looks sort of lo <laughs> she looks sort of like ocean, like ocean, and you wonder, well, maybe she's adopted, or or maybe she's not. Maybe maybe this is this, this is what Los Angeles has produced, the, this er, this erotic energy. We have told so many children, the history of America is a history of battles and mm. wars and conflicts. Here, memorize the dates. Mm. What we never tell them is how we come to be as a people. That mm. is how we loved each other and gave birth to children. 
and how there are ch children now who are of such marvel that uh, they belong to no civilization but to, but to several. It, you are surely a poet. <laughs> there are studies that show that there are in Los Angeles more people than anywhere else outside the mother country uh, when it comes to almost any nationality you can think of or religious group or ethnicity. So is there then something going on in Los Angeles, as you uh, suggest, that's, that's really important? And does that, is it part of the global image of Los Angeles? Does anybody else realize that yet? Is this something we ought to be emphasizing more, well, projecting more? What Richard says, what Richard says is, is not just endemic of LA. I mean, in Paris and, yes. and, um, uh. and, and many American cities, many world cities, you know, mm -hmm. there, is, there is a huge multi-ethnic mix. And, and a lot of, I mean, whatever city you want to name in, in the world, you know, that's happening, but except, it, except it, for a certain... It hasn't certain, been named and celebrated, yes. don't you think? Yes, it has, there has been no celebration of that. Um, and no, you, of, could you make a movie about it? I, I try to. I mean, I've advocated over and over again um, that uh, to certain people in, in, in our business that, that the world is becoming more multi-ethnic. It, it's not, you know, you know, they always say, oh, movies will only play a certain way in Europe. And plays. They don't understand, like, what's happening in Paris, what's happening in Berlin, what's happening in, in, in London, and how various people, um, let's just deal with in terms of cinema and pop culture, are going to various films because it's 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 a hodgepodge of all these different sensibilities and cultures and everything. It's not just one monolithic audience. You can't say that you know there's nothing but white British people are in London are are here together going to these one movies or whatever. And you know I've always advocated that in, in terms of um, how the cinema, at least American film, um, because of of our values and because of how we are in general, um, American films are in a way becoming more multi-ethnic. You, you look at what, what used to happen back in the day where you know, basically Eddie Murphy was the only black star working and then there may be somebody, a, a token you know, uh, mestizo in the picture or a token black person in the picture and then you know, maybe there'd be someone Asian in the film. What, I, I, it's become the norm to actually not think in that way and, and to have the cast be multi-ethnic and sometimes actually multi-racial but not advertised. It just, it just know, is what it is. It reminds me of, of my parents had, had a chunk of a Sequeiros mural on the wall uh, in their home. They're in New Yorkers originally. Um, and it's it's this subject and it just occurred to me because because it's in a way, a new subject, mm -hmm. in the sense that, that that the ethnicities that are being integrated, in a way, are very, very different now. Yes. But this one, you, you, maybe you know this, and it's a, it's a reasonably well known. But it's a Spaniard and an Indian. But it's a it being pushed together, and it's more quizzical <clears throat> because I think the question is, what's coming? Or what does it mean? Or even what is a Mexican? Because a Mexican was 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 this combination, and I think there also is something in it which is not just it's wonderful and it's remarkable, but there's a kind of apprehension both yes. in terms of when you do that, 
do you concede something? Do you give up something? Do you give up something that has a kind of order and open up to a different kind of way of, of, of looking at cultures? And ultimately, where might that go? So it's, it's not only an answer, it's a question. And if you looked at it that way, in other words, a different culture, a different kind of cosmopolitanism as a function of, of the amalgamation of types that didn't used to have anything to do with each other, which might make things very different, or on the other hand, might make the same thing over again. So this is, I mean, that might be a way of formulating a it's topic. A, it seems to me that Los Angeles, the opportunity as a city, uh, particularly in its, in its, in its sorrow, um, is to name this, this thing that is happening, this, this meeting that is taking place. Uh, one of the things that strikes me about how, uh, driving through LA, driving through Brentwood today, was just how ugly it is, but how beautiful the gardens are. Yep. And the, you'll, you'll, you'll see some house of complete... Uh, utter lack of distinction, but you know, thanks to the, the whoever it was who employed the Mexican, they have created they have created these hedges. And these, it wasn't a Mexican. <laughs> Japanese have, do that. They too, have created this greenery <laughs> that 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 is spectacular. It is it's the question of it is taking place all over the world. This this combination of of races and religions and ethnicities. Uh, the question is, what city will claim it as theirs? As in the, Marx, Marx would have said that it belongs to you, California. This was yours before it was the world's. This is where it happened first. And if you end up grousing about the traffic on the 405, instead of thinking about what it is that you are creating on the 405, I think you miss an enormous opportunity, not simply for understanding the, the potential of living side by side, but the meaning of art and the meaning of civilization that it is yours to create and, and to name. The naming process has not been done in Los Angeles. I think it's interesting, I just want to add, <laughs> I mean, just coming from where I'm from and listening to the earlier panels and, um, and the intellectuals that spoke on the first panel about how LA was so segregated at certain times, but then on, on the some, certain districts that were of a certain economic means, that segregation didn't exist. You know, um, they talked a little bit about, um, you know, um, the area where before Dodger Stadium was built, it was, um, it was near, uh, called Dogtown. It was a very poor area. And how, you know, there, there were, you know, there were Hispanics living next to blacks, living next to Italians, living next to, you know, at a certain level, um, economically, there is no segregation. And it's amazing how, with, with what happened in 65 in, in Los Angeles and, and, and the center of the city ended up changing, and people would go out to Orange County, or they go for out and expanded the valley. You know, um, I'm being polite; it's really white flight. You know, um, um, that's being quelled right now in terms of economics. You know, you can't hide. You can't hide from people that are different, and and no one is actually trying to hide from people that are different anymore. I don't think that you know that there there isn't one that, that that that's not an issue anymore. You know, I mean, as it as it as it was. Um, and um, I, I just, that, that's a very beautiful thing. Question that came up earlier: You said you got off the plane, and, and it says uh, this is the uh, city the world is watching. You, you then asked, "Does LA watch the world?" We never really explored that. I don't think LA idea. does really. <laughs> I don't think 
I think there are major events that happen in Los Angeles, and you watch the news, and everyone's talking about Kim Kardashian. You know, (laughs) I mean, you know, you you see Gaddafi being like picked apart and lynched by his own people, and people will literally turn it off, and they will put on Kim Kardashian. You know, I mean, um, it's part of the loss of reality. Yeah, it's you know, there's a comfortability of living in a of living in an illusion. Uh, as opposed to, to looking out, you know, maybe people will peek out at the real world at, at certain moments. But I think know. there is a loss of, of and maybe the word wonder still fits, of how this thing continues to metamorphosize. I mean, there, there are certainly areas other than Cardassian. <laughs> I mean, this, the, the thing that's going on in North Africa and the Middle East actually, uh, I think a day or so ago they stormed the parliament such as it is in Kuwait and talking to people in in the UAE who are now apprehensive that whatever is being turned over there will, or, or in the area, will also come and visit the uh, the Emirates as well. So, I, I, you I say wouldn't that, go I don't too think anybody in Los Angeles... Cares about that? Cares about it. I don't, that's what I'm not so sure. I, I, I no, mean, I, excuse me, I, I just got a sign that said stop. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if it was an editorial judgment or if there's a... Uh, stop on, we have time for, uh, for stop on the Middle East and uh, go back to the Cardassians. Yeah. We wanted to leave enough time for a few questions. So. Okay, all right. <laughs> So it wasn't an editorial judgment. Let's get the question. Here in Los Angeles, we have a lot of ethnicities. We also have a lot of um, veterans in the community. And so my question is, how, is the, how are the veterans that are returning to the community? We know we have 30,000 coming back to this, to this area, and Los Angeles is going to have more than any place else. How are they going to be changing the view of Los Angeles and in turn the world? I hope I don't speak out of terms. I hope they get jobs, you know, first and foremost. I hope they... They, I hope they have opportunity, employment opportunities here. Um, Anyone want to tackle well, I, that? I've, I've always thought that we, we misunderstand war to the degree that I think wars bring societies closer together, as ironic as that is sometimes. Mm. But we, you know, before September 11, 2001, Americans didn't know what the word jihad was. Um, we, 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 are, we, we, have, we have the Arab on our mind now. And we sent a lot of uh, young men and women from America into the Bible to fight these battles in the desert. And they're coming back and they've been changed by the desert. And they're bringing the desert back with them. Um, and we, in the same way that the Vietnam War created in California more Vietnamese, I think we are going to feel closer to Arabia from mm-hmm. as they come back rather than farther. Mm-hmm. Battles are, are, are intensely intimate exchanges and um, the, the general spends his time uh, thinking about how the world seems to his adversary how his, how, how his adversary is thinking and to bring these men back after these men and women back after one, two, three, five uh, terms uh, we must realize that they're going to change us they're going to Arabize us as, as, as Arabia Arabized them I'm uh, interested uh, in why you all didn't mention or talk about the space industry. When I got the email to come here, I was at 
JPL in the control room where all the information from all of our satellites around the, you know, throughout the solar system and now breaking into interstellar space are managed. And that's certainly a Los Angeles industry, uh, and I'm wondering why that wasn't uh, discussed. Did we make a mistake? Uh, <laughs> people talk about the Johnson Space Center in Texas. They talk about Cape uh, Kennedy and formerly Cape uh, Canaveral. Now Cape Kennedy again. Or, not, or rather, other way around. Anybody think, is the space program a, uh, an important part of the global image of Los Angeles that we've left out? I think really the, the, uh, the fascination with discovery, which could be a topic in a different form that we talked a little bit about here, has, been, has disappeared from the space program. And if, you know, it's the longer span bridge and still longer span bridge and the bigger Boeing and the bigger Boeing and the even bigger Boeing and the high rise and the bigger high rise. I mean, at some point, I think the bigger, faster, stronger um, uh, loses, its, loses its appeal. And I think the, as an inquiry, Aldrin Armstrong Collins wandering around out there, I think, I think that intrigued any number of people, regardless the appeal of the Cardassians. I think that adventure, if space is an adventure, and I don't know that it was ever associated with Los Angeles any more than Seattle or Houston or Cape, uh, Cape Canaveral now, uh, but, but a global enterprise, I think maybe it'll get interesting again when the Chinese get there and everybody will start getting nervous you know, should we go back? I think you might be able to foresee that, but, but the Mars event, I think that's been taken out of it. Again, with mechanics and technique, which seems to be the priority, and less, again, the, the wonder of space as being part of the story. If that's the story, I think it'll come back to everyone's attention. Why did you decide to come and be part of this conversation? <laughs> I wanted to hang out with all these people. <laughs> Me, because I love I love Los Angeles. I was born here. Um, I live here, and um, I remember when somebody in the first panel uh, said something that sparked a memory. When I was a kid, you could walk into the water um, and down a Pacific Palace, uh, down to the Palisades and Palisades, and pick up abalone. You could see Garibaldi in, in the walk. You know. Um, you know, it, you know, there's so many different aspects of the city that are, are so beautiful, um, and there's more about the city that's beautiful than, than there is um, ugly. And um, I mean, they, uh, the, the city informed me, and it's, um, it's kind of defined who I am, so that's why I came, so. Myself, I thought how Los Angeles invented the world was fantastic subject, because there's an incredible correlation there. And I always figured, whenever I come here, and I lived here for 15 years, and I enjoyed it very much, Los Angeles has always a strange futuristic aspect to it. It always seems like it's a testing ground for what the rest of, the, of humanity and other cities will look eventually, mm -hmm. uh, in many ways. I mean, the racial aspect is part of it, but I mean, also just how, how cities look. I mean, I travel a lot. I'm amazed how many cities start to look like 
either Los Angeles or Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I really think because Los Angeles has this impact on how the world understands itself, it has a certain, it has an incredible responsibility, and it's all, always as a lot of what is being shot and produced here has effect in other parts of the world later and on habits and on looks and on, on morals. It is a strange testing ground how the world will look eventually. And that I'm still extremely interested in. I came here because I was invited and I thought, um, why not for a weekend? Uh, I thought the, week, the weather would be beautiful. I hadn't been here for a long time. Um, I'm curious about Los Angeles now that I don't spend a lot of time here. Uh, I didn't, I was put off by that title because I thought the world had invented Los Angeles and that that was my impression that everybody brought their, their dream to this place and that was the perplexion of LA. Um, why, was, why am I here? Well, because he was gonna be here and, and um, I, there's a scene in the Berlin Library where the angel, is doing this, and I, I actually can do this now to the to the director. And just you want to hear, <laughs> he wants to hear my thoughts. It is it is it is. Uh, where else would I be on a Saturday? But but in in uh, in this absurd room talking about a, a city a city is as is as mysterious and as and as vulgar as Los Angeles. Um, it is a, it's a great treat to be here and to think about these puzzles. Um, interestingly enough, I, when I got the note and when I got the email, Ice Cube was listed <laughs> <coughs> as a participant. We had just gone to, my wife and I had just gone to a Jay-Z concert. And, and Ice Cube appeared and was part of the show. And I thought... Fantastic. It's not another panel with architects. My grandmother came here in 1901. Wow. So I've been here a long time. I graduated from Hollywood High School. I graduated from UCLA. And I have two philosophies, and I would just like to just say it, maybe to end this evening. My philosophy about Los Angeles is, do not come to Los Angeles unless you're invited. <laughs> And my second philosophy is, is that a lot of people come to Los Angeles to pursue a dream. Well, to give up on your dream is normal, but to keep your dream is to be an artist. That's all I have to say. Today, 100,000 students will be applying just to be in UCLA, just to be in LA. Has it just switched that much? Is this maybe the center of the Pacific Rim in some way? I, I, it could be, if you want it to be, but LA has been sort of on a low burner for a while, in my estimate. Uh, by the way, nobody's talking about television, and I think the creative work being done on cable right now is, is so, so vastly superior to, to a lot of filmmaking. Uh, I think oh, yeah. a, a movie, like, a series like Six Feet Under, for A Sense of LA, was, there's some Michael Mann movies that, I, that I've seen lately that give me a sense of LA, but that, that series particularly uh, just was brilliant. There is a line that extends now from Redmond, Washington, down to North County, San Diego. And it is the line in which finitude is being redefined as infinity. Um, it is with this digital enterprise, 
that that has a geographical place that it, that and no one speaks about why did it happen along that line if LA wants to put itself along that line and claim itself as the capital I I, I don't know whether it is I think Mountain View California probably is but uh, but at some level if you want to if you have to be part of that conversation with the west of the rest of the west coast what can I just say quietly because I love you so much LA uh, I, I, is that I think that you become San Franciscan when instead of talking about Pacific time as that line from Washington down to San Diego it ends up talking about Los Angeles and it seems to me that um, Pacific time really we really live on Pacific time in San Francisco and they, li they live on Pacific time in Las Vegas and they live on Pacific time in a lot of places. And um, to use something as grandiose as that and, and, and for LA not to want to embrace it and rather to do this, that feels like San Francisco to me. It's not worth it. It's not, you're, you're, you're a grander city than, than that and you should, you should claim the West. The way the, the LA Times used to claim the West and then it became a smaller, it used to be a, a, a West Coast, you could buy the LA Times of San Francisco, then it was no longer there, then you couldn't buy it in San Diego, it got to shrink, it, it shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. I'm the, probably the only person in this room who misses the Chandlers, but I miss them a lot. Yeah. <clears throat> I have Chinese and Irish background, so your uh, ethnicity topic is fascinating, I think it'd be a, its own conference, but my question is around, um, you alluded to a shift to Silicon Valley. I wanted to hear more about that. But I think that the energies of the world are moving into the digital empire. I'm not sure that Los, that Los Angeles is the capital of that enterprise. And I think what worries me most about it is its disconnection from physical experience. And um, kids who are talked to each other and faked identities and sexuality that, that engages no touch, um, this, this communication that is, is not physical at all, but, um, but imagistic, um, seems to me to, to be troubling. And more and more, um, you're, I'm meeting kids who are living, you know, I, I was talking to a group of young men up in Anchorage, Alaska, about why boys are, are watching video games so much now. The more violent, the better, you know. And they're selling in the world like crazy. Uh, that's really the, sh the future of movie making, it seems to me. Mm -hmm. And they said to me, one said to me, um, a young man named Schofield who said he was related to Paul Schofield, the actor. And that was a joke because he was as different as, as you can imagine. He said the, the reason we watch video games, violent video games, is because we want to be mythic and we have no other way to imagine it. And I'm thinking to myself, that there's a whole generation of young people now who are living their lives on a screen. And it worries me. And I don't think Los Angeles is where it's happening. I think, I think Menlo Park or Mountain View is where it's happening. I'm not a celebrant of it. I worry about it. Uh, but it is, it's an energy that is large right now in the world. The impression that I have, and I don't know if a lot of you other people who are from Los Angeles feel the same way, um, where I felt um, when I came to Los Angeles, it does have a diversity of cultures, but I always felt like they were very separated. And that was, I mean, coming from New York, that was something that was very um, apparent to me too, because I felt like, especially in New York, I mean, you see evidence of it too, you're forced into social situations where you have to interact with people. Mm -hmm. 
But the thing that's unique to me about Los Angeles, and it has its like the good parts too, because where else can you get authentic Japanese food, Mexican food, Korean food, all like within 15 minutes of each other. But the thing is, is that each of those areas are ethnic enclaves. And so, I mean, to me, is that idea of globalization and, and of kind of like a, you know, of, of uh, mixed babies of hapas and people who are coming black skins and things like that, like, is that just a kind of romantic idea or is that... No, I don't think it's a romantic idea. I think it's a romantic idea. ideal, but in the best sense. I do know a place on Whittier Boulevard, I'll take you there sometimes, they have tofu burritos. Um, <laughs> you gain and you lose weight at the same time. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's true, but the thing is, is even if for a lot of those, if you think about those businesses, a lot of those businesses are also owned by, for example, those businesses are owned by Korean people. And the, what they're doing is... I mean, I don't, like, it's like they're using, in a way, a gimmick to make more money, and they're doing it not for the sake of actually creating, like, a fusion but that actually the celebrates the cultures, but actually people like cause, so they can make money. That's the result you're eating, though, yeah. is what I'm saying. It's happening in you, not in them. And when you devour it, it becomes your food. And it seems to me that, that we aren't, we're, you know, we're, we don't talk to each other as much as we eat each other's food now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever you came, for whatever reason, thank you all. This is a great panel. <laughs>